Today's guest is Jonathan Pritchard. Jonathan Pritchard is a mentalist, which is a type of entertainer specializing in appearing to read minds, predict the future, instant hypnosis, and other what he calls impossible skills. Eventually, he realized his talents could do more than entertain people, and that's when he began consulting for the world's largest companies. While Jonathan does not think psychic abilities are real, I think it's important to learn from people who know how these abilities can be faked. He obviously cannot give away any trade secrets, but it's a really interesting conversation. Hey, everyone. I'm really excited to let you know about the science and spirituality salons I'm now hosting. During these intimate events, a scientifically verified psychic medium will give all of you readings And I will give a talk on the science and evidence that changed my mind about an afterlife. So also be an amazing opportunity to get to meet some of you in person or virtually and to share more about all the science and data that transformed my worldview and got me through my worst days. These can be hosted in your home, in a nearby cafe with a private room, or they can even be virtual. I've hosted a few already, and they were really special, fascinating, emotional, evidential. So if you're interested in getting a small group together over dinner, brunch, drinks, coffee, to learn more about the science and to get evidential medium readings, send me an email at hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put science and spirituality in the title. Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a sciencey skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, There's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi, everyone. Today, I have a really interesting guest. His name is Jonathan Pritchard, and I will let him do his intro. Well, hello there. I am super happy to be here. Basically, my background is I've been touring the world, doing a mind reading show that uses applied psychology, showmanship, and a healthy dose of moxie to make it look like I can make the impossible happen. And over the past five, eight years or so, depending on how you measure it, I've been moving more into corporate speaking and consulting and businessy stuff. 
but the psychology and weird experiences part of life is what's most interesting to me. So I think that's a really interesting thing to do, whether you believe some people can really read minds or not. You know, obviously this podcast, I'm sure you checked out, we do think there's some people who can do it, whatever the physics is behind that. I know very logically, not everyone would agree with that. So what got you interested in doing stage how do you mentalism is that how you refer to it stage magic mentalism i i do it i do call it mentalism it's kind of the technical term also for shorthand i usually just tell people hey i'm a i'm a mind reader for hire (laughs) is basically it and it's it's just fun really it's just so much fun i get to have fun with people for a living and i got started yeah, doing doing magic tricks. Any beginner's magic book has here are some tricks you can do with stuff you can find around the house. Here's some rope tricks. Here's a couple mind reading tricks. Here are a couple illusions you could build out of cardboard. And I tried everything, but the mind reading stuff seemed to be the most impressive. It was what amazed people the most. And we tend to go where we get the easiest results. So for me, that was doing the mind reading stuff, because a 13 year old kid who could tell you what street you grew up on is deeply disturbing. (laughs) It's a pretty wild experience. But as the 13 year old kid, you're like, oh, that's fun. Let me let me keep doing that. You can get as specific as what street someone grew up on, because when I'm picturing cold reading and I'm going to do a poor rendition because I'm not a cold reader is you are able to say things like very general although skilled at it you know like you're struggling now with what you want to do with your life which is typical if you're facing someone who's maybe 20. Right so part of there there's a lot that goes into mentalism and this whole world and A lot of mentalism got its start in the late 1800s when spiritualism was in the top three most popular religions in America. And that's kind of its background is we're able to talk to dead people, not just talk to dead people, but also get dead people to talk back to us, which is the real impressive trick. So there there's a lot that went into that. and. In the late 1800s, that was just a a thing people could demonstrate that they could do. And a lot of magicians said, hey, we know that you're just doing magic tricks under the guise of, oh, we can we can talk to dead people and that kind of thing. And then it moved from spiritualism and getting connected to spirits and then moved more into the scientific approach in the 1930s of, well, we're going to prove that this is real. And then it shifted more towards the parapsychology realm. And we're now going to do studies and we're going to put this in a laboratory environment and do double blind tests and that kind of thing. Well, Not a lot of those tests were up to snuff for the scientific community. So then instead of saying, well, this is parapsychology, it then 
kind of retreated to, well, this is just really good psychology. And then the methods, the claimed methods weren't, oh, I'm talking to spirits. It's more, oh, I'm reading your facial expressions in order to develop my intuition of what it is. From my experience, for corporations and companies that hire me at conferences and that kind of thing, they're paying me to create these experiences 100% of the time. They're not paying me to, to maybe guess at this kind of thing and take a wild stab at it. Like if I'm not, if I'm not doing what I'm getting paid to do, I'm not getting paid. So the, the methods that I'm using, think of them like a Vegas magician, Vegas magicians do tricks with tigers. I'm doing tricks with information and they're really good tricks to make it look like I can read body language or I could talk to the spirits of people who have passed on. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm getting paid to use whatever methods make it work. So I'm saying all of that to say that you're right. The body language reading and micromuscular expressions is mostly founded on bunk science. It's it's not real because you're right. A half smile that lasted for 0.300 milliseconds or whatever would never tell me what your pet's name was. It it just wouldn't. But it's an easier framing for most people to accept as this is how it's working than I'm in touch with a spirit guide named whatever McGee, however you want to frame it. So in the world of mentalism, the psychology angle is the most popular presentational ploy, but they're both equally as not useful on stage for the entertainment dynamic. So that's that's why uh, you're right. Those facial tics won't tell me anything. And that's why I have to use trickery behind the scenes to make it all work. And I know I can't ask you this, and I'm so itching to ask you how, and I know obviously you can't <laughs> ask that, but, and in terms of micro expressions and cold reading, for example, if someone uh -huh. was to be a fake medium, they would say, you don't have your mother who's passed, do you? And then whether you say yes or no, they can say, that's right. I mean, that's a very crude trick. If you were to do it one-on-one, right. -on -one, do micro expressions and body language, does that work at all? Or is it still more stage magic, secret magic tricks? It It's still stage magic, magic, secret tricks. Um, because the body language has its place and it is useful, but not in the way that 99% of people think it is. Because the belief at the bedrock of it is that there are universal displays of emotion that always mean the same thing no matter who you are. And none of the research has backed that up. Right? Because everybody expresses their current emotions 
in a completely unique way because they've never been in this situation before. So a laugh doesn't always mean that something is funny. And a smile doesn't always mean that somebody's happy. And crying doesn't mean that they're always sad. So that's, that is the belief at the bottom of, oh, body language reading is always useful because, oh, he's got his arms folded, so he's closed off and uncomfortable. Like, no, it's really cold in this office, right? So, so the place where it is useful is for a performer like me or a medium or somebody who is in the same situation again and again and again and again and the only element that changes is the person sitting across the table so when everything else is the same you can then know what is changing the person's demeanor because you've got that baseline of i've done this with three thousand participants now I've got 3,000 data points to pull from that my non-conscious mind can start to recognize these patterns. So within the context of my shows, I come out and I do the exact same three minutes that I've been doing since I was 13 years old in front of nearly 19,000 audiences over the years. So I know that if people laugh at this point, okay, it's going to be that kind of audience. Or if that guy doesn't laugh here, then he won't be good for this routine later, but he'd be perfect for the one that's coming up two routines from now. So the body language reading is useful once you have a baseline of behavior with somebody, then you can measure their current behavior, how it matches or deviates from the previous behavior that you've been able to see. So that's why somebody who just claims to walk up to you and go, I can tell by the, you looked up and to the left that you're thinking, no, that, that just, I've not seen enough evidence to make me believe that somebody is able to do that without being able to recognize the trickery behind the scenes that they're trying to use to make you believe that that's what they're doing. I feel like if I was to go fake and pretend to do this, I would have a secret partner there who was a few feet away pretending to be on their phone and probably do like some facial recognition technology. So like right. snapping yep. photos of people nearby and then like texting me. And obviously I would have to develop years of skills. So I'm not clearly looking at my phone. I'm sure it's a lot of its rhythm, but I am curious as technology is important, proving and you know for better or worse we're going to have some creepy levels of facial recognition technology that probably every individual will have access to to what extent do you think that's going to influence or change your art skill performance that's a really fun question because magicians and 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 that kind of mystery performer have been the first people to adapt any kind of new technology, weirdly. The first movie special effects guy was Georges Millet, who was a French magician, because he recognized, oh, okay, I can, I can play with the medium this way to create these effects. Neat. And there were magicians that adapted radio technology very early on. So when radio was still a very new technology and... Not everybody even had a radio in their house. There were some magicians that built out radio broadcasting in their own home 
so that their wife or kid could be in the study and then tell them secrets with the earpiece in their ear with the receiver in a loop of uh, coiled copper around their neck plugged into a battery, right? Like all sorts of just wacky setups when it was a cutting edge technology. So there, there will be some magicians that use these kinds of technologies and also audiences that get more comfortable with those technologies. It's kind of presenting a weirder challenge in that if we've got AI that can read minds, why is it impressive that a human being is reading minds? We've got a computer that can do it. So why, why you? <laughs> so in a way, the, the available real estate for human amazement is still getting smaller and smaller. So in, in another way, it's easier if you can show, hey guys, I've got $10,000 challenge to anybody who can prove that I'm using that fancy AI mind reading thing to do this, that there are any radio things in my ears or secret coding devices or, or hidden trap doors with somebody signaling me. I don't do any of that stuff. It's all just communication. Here we go. Because I would think if someone in like 1980 went up to a stranger and was like, oh, I know your name. I know this. I know this. The person would be freaked out. Like, this is impossible. You just defied the laws of the universe. And today you'd be like, okay, wait, do you follow my Instagram? And it would have another, you're creepy, you're stalking me. Or, But, you know, you'd have a normal answer. Exactly. If Google Glasses ever took off, that would just be the norm to just meet someone and know their whole bio within a split second. Right, right. Which is part of the presentational angle is to go... You guys know that I could look you up on Facebook. I could figure out who your relatives are and that kind of stuff that I might have talked to you before the show and, and done some Sherlock Holmes stuff. So from this point forward, it all starts now. I want you to think of something completely unique, something you know you've never shared on social media. It'll stay in this room. I'm not going to share it anywhere. So helping people think through those. I bet he just looked us up on Facebook, right? Because uh, as one of my buddies, Brent was always talking about, we design our experiences for that car ride home when they're in the room with us and, Oh, it's amazing. Okay. That's neat. And then they're driving home, having that conversation with their friends going, you know, that was fun. But now that I've had an hour to think about it, I bet he just looked us up on Facebook and everybody goes, yep, that was it. Oh, okay. He just, he just Googled us. That's all it was. And now they're free from living with that wonder of what's possible with, with your mind. So you have to anticipate all of those conversations and then design the experience so that they can't use those as the escape valve later of he just did technology. Personally, I know whenever I see a magic show, it's always really fun to try to figure out. But in reality, I don't really want to know. Like the few times I watched behind the scenes and Googled how some things were done, it's really interesting. But then 
there's a disappointment. So maybe like 10 years later, I'd like to know how a trick was done. But at the time, I like walking away with, I just, it, it leaves a mystery that I think I really enjoy. Right, right. Yeah. And that that is a great detail is that the experience is, wow, incredible. And then the method can be very disappointing. Oh, it was duct tape and cardboard. That is the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then deeper, it's now what the real mystery to me is why in the world can duct tape and cardboard create these experiences that you'll remember for the next 50 years of your life? To me, that's the most powerful part of magic is we're just wired to be amazed. It's it's just part of our wiring that makes it possible that something as simple as cardboard and duct tape can blow your mind and transform your life. And to me, that's the real power of magic and alchemy of taking mundane physical elements and really stupid methods to create impossible outcomes for people because that's what any kind of self-improvement is You're like, well, that was stupid, but it worked. And now my life is totally different and it's awesome now. But all it took was writing down what I wanted in the next year. Like when you say it out loud, those secrets are about the most disappointing thing you could ever imagine. But everybody wants the answer to be way more sexy than it really is when those really not sexy methods get you really sexy results. That's what I noticed. I took magic classes at summer camp as a kid. It was really fun, but it changed, you know, the feelings about the tricks. It went from one of sort of tingling awe to, wow, that's so interesting. And it's interesting to learn about psychology. And it's something I would like to learn about how tricks are done, but not ones I ever just saw. I want to leave that and leave that night with the mystery or that experience. So to what extent, I read a book that was very interesting once, because I always thought magic tricks were just purely about physical tricks. I'm trying to word that, but it was about neuroscience and that our eyes, to an extent to which we don't see reality, such as how when we we make up our brain fills in the center of objects because we don't see them. Yep. To what extent does our brain not perceive reality? And to what extent do you play with that? Oh, that, that is the playground that, that really is it because we like to think that we are very aware of what's going on, that we're very conscious of what we're doing and that we're on top of our game. You can't get one over on me. When really, our senses are always perceiving, but our non-conscious mind's number one job is to pre-filter everything and only let through what we value. Because if you were aware of everything you could possibly be aware of and were conscious of it, you wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning because you're just overwhelmed with sensory input. So our minds are more active filtering out useless information than we are paying attention to what's valuable. 
And that gets into tricky territory because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of what you value is what you notice, which reinforces those values as being the most useful because look at how much of this is around. It's everywhere I look. So of course it makes sense that I believe this because I keep seeing the only thing I can see is justification for my belief patterns. So your belief structure tells you it's valuable to filter out any anything that disagrees with that value structure, and then you're only left with evidence for your current belief set. Now, have you noticed, are there different cultures that you have to adjust your tricks or performances to based on what certain cultures might focus on over another? In, in a way, yes. What you have to adjust is the way that you talk about what you're doing or the topics you focus on, because maybe asking somebody who their first crush is might be a little too familiar, and we don't know each other like that. So in this place, first crush doesn't fit, maybe first pet, but something more mundane would be more culturally appropriate. But the cool part is that the wiring that makes magic tricks possible is pre-cultural. It's it's at a fundamental human operating system level. Doesn't matter where you grew up. When that tiger shows up, wow, that's incredible. Where did that what where did that come from? It was empty and then it wasn't. What? Come on. So magicians have been looking at this stuff for 10,000 years before written history started so they've they've got a real head start based on the uh, compared to psychologists who are coming at it from the neuroscience angle magicians regardless of culture have existed done essentially the same kinds of effects because we're we're dealing with deep archetype desires fundamental human motivations like pulling a rabbit out of a hat that was popular back in the great depression when most families were real hungry and a rabbit could feed a family tonight so it was more about being able to provide out of nowhere how to solve hunger so when you look deeper into most of the most popular magic tricks they're popular and classic because they connect to that deep human need. Like there's a, a routine called the miser's dream where you just keep pulling coins out of the air and dump them in a bucket. Like who wouldn't want to just pull money from thin air? And and in a way you could think of it like, oh yeah, coming up with a business idea or being an entrepreneur is exactly that you have an idea and you pull a business out of thin air and people pay you for it that's that's magic so it it really is deeper than cultural level and you don't really need to change much when Siegfried and Roy were the big illusionists when I was growing up along with David Copperfield they can tour all over the world and not have to say a thing because what they're doing is obviously magic. You don't need to put it into a cultural context to appreciate that box was empty, box has tiger. What? <laughs> I was kind of interested if people's 
if it went to more how people's neurons develop to pay attention to certain things, just on a side note, I took this test once that was kind of interesting. It's one's done by Yale University and they're studying schizophrenia versus psychic mediums and hearing voices. Now I live in New York City most of the year, sometimes LA. So they're like, do you ever think you see people out of the corner of your eye? Do you ever think you're hearing voices of people talking next to you? I'm like, well, when you live in New York. Yeah. Hard not to. A hundred percent. And they're like, how many, they're like, how many times a day do you perceive that? I'm like, um, like a million. I don't ever not, you know, but if I lived in a small town in the country, probably if I said all day, I'm hearing that and seeing that, uh, that would be investigated very differently. So that was just something I was like, we must all develop neurons to perceive different things because I also have managed to basically filter out all the people around me. Whereas someone comes to New York for the first time, I've had friends visit and they're like, it's so loud. There's so many people. There's too much information coming in. Mm -hmm. It goes past that. The type of mentalism tricks goes past this level of neuron awareness that we develop based on our circumstances. Right. Because that, that is called habituation where you become desensitized to a particular type of sensory input. It's like putting on a watch. You feel it for the first minute, and then you got better things to do, and you don't feel it anymore. So you you can get used to sensory input real quickly, and it just becomes background noise. Like when I lived in Chicago, there were a couple apartments that were right by the train, and the first week, oh man, the train was super loud, and then people would visit and go, how do you sleep with a train there? I'm like, oh, what train? What are, what are you talking about? <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're right. You, you do get used to it pretty quickly. Now, I know you mentioned the rabbit being pulled out of the hat, and that was popular at the time due to the depression and starvation. Is there an equivalent today that you think is the primal need of our culture that you use? Is that trade secrets? No, it's not not a trade secret. In fact, it's the thing I'm trying to shout as loud as possible <laughs> to help people understand, which is as we become more interconnected in a digital way, we become even more lonely and isolated in base physical reality, which is how the human operating system has been designed to flourish in we're in person social creatures and we've got this bizarre surrogate called social media that we think is filling that need at the expense of starving ourselves for in-person human relationships and connections with great people So these digital tools are phenomenal at maintaining familiarity and connection to a certain degree. They're best when we leverage them to then connect in person. We we tend to be happier as people. So that to me is why mentalism is so popular nowadays is it's a glimmer of hope that we can still connect with each other and that some stranger can see us for who we are. And that is 
a beautiful thing that we don't get to experience all that often. So I think that the heyday of mentalism is mostly because of how disassociated people feel from their online experience versus being able to meet a a fun guy at a party who can tell us and show us, I really heard you. I know that your pet's name is Fluffy and I'm present to witness that about you. And then you're like, oh, I feel seen. That guy's incredible. Oh, I'm so happy. Okay, we're not all just ships passing in the night anymore. So being able to connect people and connect with people is the the magic trick du jour. Okay, so I agree with you about a lot of the loneliness. I don't really like how virtual everything has become. And I can personally identify that that's been a real human need on my end, and especially how lonely I felt in 2020, where I could my whole social life with all of ours, it was virtual. So you do think people can, there is a skill where some people, or maybe all of us have that skill where we can, to an extent, read a person when we first meet them. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I I think that being able to size people up and to connect is part of our human operating system. And I have a weird way of thinking about life and how life works that goes back to ancient Pythagoras and the Pythagorean mystery cult. So to me, a metaphor that makes a lot of sense is that Imagine that there is a universal radio signal and our bodies are radios like a boombox. And we've pretty much got the same components and we can take that signal and broadcast it. And that is our life. And we're all broadcasting the same signal. So it's like every radio is tuned to 93.7. And the make and model of the radio means that their 93.7 is mostly the same, but has some key differences. It sounds different. This one might be a little more bassy. This one might have more treble, that kind of thing. So if we're all tuned in to the same radio signal, makes sense that we are connected in a fundamental way below our conscious awareness and the ideas we can have on a moment to moment basis. So to me, we're all animated by the same spirit. 
that there is no unique Jonathan soul or unique soul of somebody else. It's more there's one soul that gives rise to our lives and then the signal keeps going when the radio's broken. I'm like, okay, the radio's broken and that radio doesn't broadcast the signal, but that doesn't mean that the signal stops. So the conscious part, the awareness part of who you are has a beginning and an end. You come online when you're young and then you go offline when you're not young anymore. But the essential part of of being is forever and universal. So to me, I I like to use the theatrical framing of that radio signal that allows me to dial into your broadcast if I can connect with the signal more effectively. And it it would be weirder if those weird connections didn't happen than they do happen. So, yeah, you, you've got weird experiences as silly and mundane as it might seem thinking of someone for the first time in a year and then they call. That's that's really cool. It's that mundane but amazing experience that is life. So I think that those strange experiences happen. They're delightful. They're magical. They're a part of being human. But anybody who says I'm going to make it happen on demand for pay, I I would be more dubious and looking for those tricky magic techniques than anything else. So you don't believe any psychic mediums are genuine? I haven't seen somebody who I would say, oh yeah, they're they're clearly psychic. They're they're not using cold reading or advanced mentalism techniques to create the appearance of being psychic, right? Like I I would love to. I want to. That'd be fantastic. I just haven't I haven't experienced them. Got it. Have you ever read the studies like up to quintuple blinded studies of Dr. Julie Beichel? Because she is yeah. a pharmacologist who studies psychic mediums and she's done up to blinded studies has concluded they are getting information under tight controls that they seem to not be able to get normally. So yeah, it just yeah. might be something you'd find interesting. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll, I'll check that out for sure. I know one stage magician who also is a parapsychologist, Lloyd Arbach. I don't know if you know his work at all, Mm-mm. but he, yeah, he's very interesting. And he said, and he said, this is, he's heard this from other mentalists. Some think psychic abilities can be real. Some don't, you know, and they've all said they've had moments while doing a show that they've just known things they can't explain. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Where, a picture will come into my head and go, I don't know why, but this is in my head right now. And then it'll just floor them because like, oh yeah, that's such and such a thing. So yeah, so that, that's why I'm saying like those things happen. I've, I've experienced them myself, had them happen to me. So that's why I'm saying if somebody says they can make that happen on demand, like I could clap my hands. That's why I'm saying, I don't think so. 
because I've never seen anybody be able to do it. Just boom, like, here we go. But those things do happen. So that's why I'm more cautious around people who say, oh, I can make this happen on demand anytime I want with anybody I want. Like, that sounds a lot like a mind reading trick. So, so yeah, it's it's fun. And when you're when you're in the showbiz long enough, you learn to just take those chances and fire in the dark. And if it happens to be a connection, that's a miracle. My goodness, he's he's the real deal. And if it doesn't connect, people go, well, you know, not everything works. So that's eh, all good. So there's literally no downside from a performing standpoint of why you wouldn't go for those. I'm just feeling this and I'm going to share it with you. The, you would be holding a lot back if you didn't go go that direction. You must be shocked when that happens to you. If you normally do this as a trick and something pops in your head that's so specific and random. Yeah, it it is that is the most amazing part of of what I do. And also, I do a lot of tarot card reading gigs where I just say here's here's what I see when I'm looking at these cards and it freaks people out. So that's the fun part is that when I'm doing tarot readings, I don't need to do any of the extra sauce. I don't need to pull a trick on anybody. I don't need that kind of behind this curtain extra trickiness. The cards are weird enough as they are. And I think of it a lot like the magic of of songwriting. You'll hear a song and go, oh, my God, that's that's me that this song is me like, no, the songwriter has never met you. They don't know you. They just they wrote it. And we can't help but to bring ourselves to every experience and embody every story that we hear. And then we can identify ourselves in these creative works. So I won't know what it means to somebody I won't know what they're experiencing. I'll just know I said this because the cards say it. And then they're going, how in the world did you know? I'm like, I, I didn't I didn't know anything. I just said the thing. And then you're the one that's amazed. I have no clue what it is. So it's it's not always I know exactly what this will mean to this person. So I'm going to say it. It's more say whatever comes in my mind. And then they provide the meaning and connection but then they they ascribe that miracle to me instead of themselves of being able to connect the dots of magic on their own so that's why i like to see myself as a facilitator of magical experiences rather than the cause of magical experiences and then also when you're saying you read tarot you don't consider yourself a genuine tarot reader, whatever that would mean. It's part of mentalism, part of a performance. I see myself as uh, if there were a job title called secular shaman, that would be on my business card. I I own secularshaman.com. It's not a website I keep up, but it's one that I built just to plant my flag because to me, it's the magic of meaning. And to me, that is the most magical part of being alive is 
creating meaning for ourselves. And I think that a lot of that was figured out in Pythagoras's time, the mystery cults and, and metaphysics and the, the science of meaning and, and all of that nature of being all that got ironed out a long time ago before Buddhism became ism before Christianity became an ism before any kind of organized religion attributed human insight as, oh, this guy figured this out about the world and therefore we're going to be all about this dude. <laughs> so that's why to me, a lot of religions are a personality cult more than they're a study of the nature of being using our logical faculties to pierce the veil of meaning and the way of the universe. So that's, that's why when I'm working with tarot, I'm not a real tarotist. I'm more about, I'm a artist of meaning using different mediums to connect with strangers I meet. And there are a variety of tools in my toolkit to help facilitate that. At the heart of it, the real magic is that connection and seeing somebody else and really being with them in the present moment and creating meaning together. Yeah, I love that. And I love the name. What was it? The website, the secular. Yeah, secularshaman.com. Secular shaman. As someone who's an atheist who studies afterlife evidence, I still consider myself an atheist. So I love what you've said about religion. And I think based on scientific data, there is now probability of an afterlife. What I'm interested in. And then I just want to ask you, I want to back up a little bit. From what you were saying about describing our bodies as like radios, that sounds like you do think that we do survive bodily death in a form of our consciousness. Is that true? Or do you think con mm -mm. you don't? No, to me. You think consciousness is created by our brain? Yeah, that the consciousness is the compounded experience of the radio signal resonating with our water bags called bodies that together give rise to consciousness and awareness. That awareness is bounded by time and anything that starts like this radio is built, birthed, and then has its functional period. And then the components break down and it can no longer tune the signal and the broadcast stops. So your consciousness and awareness are an ephemeral experience of reality but the animating spirit is forever and omnipresent because everywhere these radios have gone in the universe, they're still broadcasting the signal because our Earth hasn't been in the same place in the universe ever because the galaxy is spinning, the galaxy is moving through the universe so from if you had a God's eye view of reality, the Earth has never been in the same place twice. So it's kind of like 
that's why the the metaphor kind of breaks down in that 93.7 is broadcasting from this city and as you drive away from it that signal fades but everywhere we've been we're still alive right so so that's why to me that spirit has to be everywhere all at once has always been there waiting for the radios to modulate that signal into life. So I, I think it's, yeah, some kind of spirit with water as the, the antenna that helps dial in that signal that we then experience as lives that have beginning and end. Uh, but that's, that's why I don't think that we have individuated souls and I'm still going to be aware of my Jonathan-ness when I die. It's more of I'm letting go of identifying with Jonathan-ness as me more than recognizing me as a temporary experience and confabulation of spirit, body, mind, and all that kind of stuff. We can get sidetracked with this for the rest of the podcast. It's fascinating. I mean, this is getting into philosophy and science and more of an emphasis on philosophy because we don't have enough of science to really back a lot of these theories up. I find that a really interesting take. Yeah, it used to be way more common in ancient Greece. And and that kind of fundamental animating spirit idea kind of lost out to the atomists. And the only thing that's real is physical reality. If it's not a thing, it's not real. And that camp won out 8,000 years ago, basically. Right. It seems like it's the majority. It's either religion, which just seems a little, no disrespect to anyone's beliefs, but a little fantastical going to this perfect heaven and no data backing any of it up, or just pure neuroscience that everything's material and there isn't another layer to it i would agree that it's more along of what you said except i have come to think that most likely in that radio cloud signal our consciousness is based and continues when we're not in the body i hope i hope i'm right in that assessment but you know how do we really know we don't right exactly on your site you put one thing you can teach is forbidden skills. I just thought that was a really intriguing description. Are you allowed to share any of those? Are those secrets that for, tell me a little about that. Sounds like it's working. (laughs) That, that was it. The secret skill essentially is influence persuasion. And in the dark arts angle, it's protecting yourself from manipulation and coercion being able to recognize when somebody is trying to leverage your fundamental psychology to your expense and their benefit. So helping helping people understand how to help people to everybody's benefit and recognize when you're getting manipulated or cheated. Life would be a lot better if I think we were all a lot more aware of that. Exactly. Now, do you think most of the manipulators, do you think it's conscious and intentional or is it unintentional? It's like any other skill. You are unconsciously incompetent to begin with. 
then you become consciously incompetent. Man, I why does this never why do I never get what I want? Then you become consciously competent. You're like, I'm gonna really try to get this person to to do what I want them to do. How how can I make this person do what I want to do? Then you figure it out. And then you get so good at it that you are unconsciously competent. And then you go, that's just the way I am. And it's a lot like juggling. At first, you're not a good juggler. You're not born a good juggler. You have to learn how to juggle, and it's really difficult. And then once you've been doing it for years, you can juggle. You can carry on a conversation. You can walk around the house if you want to. And you don't even have to pay much attention to it, but you're doing something that most people think is an inborn gift. So it's it's just a way that some people have found to use to get their needs met rather than win-win scenarios and pure voluntary-only relationships. And can that type of manipulation is usually sort of dark or causing harm in people's life can it ever be done for good like i'm gonna manipulate all these people who've been depressed and feeling down about themselves to feel great about themselves and motivated or you know all these maybe i've heard of it used this way with physical Mm -hmm. illness i guess a type of a placebo you manipulate people that they're feeling healthy and then they end up getting better yeah, solid, solid question. The That's why I like to make a distinction between manipulation as to your expense and my benefit to help help kind of separate the some people don't know how to help themselves, don't believe they could be helped. And you need to magic them into believing in themselves because it's a belief that they couldn't help themselves in the first place that's reinforcing itself. So it's because of their magical idea that has developed the reality that they're experiencing. So you you have to magic them out of it. It's not a logical reason that they believe what they believe. So it can't be a logical solution to their issue. So I think of it like if we are interacting and it's to your detriment and my benefit, that's a bad way of doing it. On the opposite side would be we're interacting and everybody is better off at the end of it. That's a better end of that that thing. And then what is changing your beliefs or your behavior? And to me, it's a it's a continuum, but it's handier to think of them as polar opposites. So if I am getting you to change your behavior to my benefit, Give me your wallet or I'm going to shoot you. That's coercion. So I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care what you're thinking. All I care about is what you're doing and I want to change your behavior. That's coercion. If I'm changing your beliefs to my benefit, to your hurt, that's what manipulation is. So I might withhold information so that you don't have a full understanding and therefore come to the wrong conclusion that I'm helping you. That's why you need to give me $50,000. Okay. On the opposite side of everybody is, is better off. If I am trying to change your behavior, but I'm not too concerned about your beliefs yet, 
listen, we need to go to this restaurant because it's got something that you'll love. It's got something that I'll love. This will be the best thing for all of us to hang out. We have to go to this restaurant. You don't need to believe that it's the best yet. I just need you to go there. That's what influence is. And then if I'm trying to change your beliefs, that's what persuasion is. Persuasion is fundamentally more effective because it's kind of upstream from all of your choices and actions that you're going to take. So if I can help you believe in yourself more effectively, if I can help you understand that you're more capable than you believe you were, then your behavior is going to change for the better as well. So if you're looking for long-term improvement, persuasion is the name of the game. Whereas most people are dealing with manipulation and people who try to take advantage of you with false promises or managed narratives. So that's why I try not to use manipulating people for their own good as a way of explaining it. I would rather talk about the difference between persuasion and influence and protecting against coercion and manipulation because not everybody knows what is going to help them the best. That's why we go to doctors who can then diagnose our situation, then they persuade us to take medicine or exercise more regularly and to do all those things that will make us better off. Okay, yeah, that all makes sense. And those words make a big difference, manipulation versus persuasion. You know, you want to persuade your boyfriend to quit smoking versus an abusive relationship where you're persuading them to cut off ties with their friends. Right. Or I'm going to kidnap your kid if you don't stop smoking. Right. It's like that. That's the weird gray area where you could get into some real bizarre justifications for some really bad behaviors because I'm doing it for the right reasons. Not not really. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's probably no justification. Well, I don't want to say no justification for kidnapping your boyfriend's kid if they're abusing them. I mean, then we're getting into all the ethics of philosophy, which is a whole... Exactly. That's a whole can of worms itself. <laughs> so now one thing in your books, it sounds like you also teach people how to change their brains to persuade. Manipulation has a dark connotation to it. So persuade themselves. I thought that was an interesting thing that you write about. Yeah. And and that's really the heart of it, which is helping people understand the power they have to have created the life that they're living and to recognize the decisions they've made to help it come into being. And if you believe you have no part in how your life has gone, then you have zero chance of changing it. So that that's belief number one that has to change in order for anything else to change. So understanding how your own mind works and how you've come to these conclusions and why your beliefs lead you to the experiences that reinforce your beliefs and then seeing that cycle, you can then consciously interrupt that cycle at any point in that process to change what you're experiencing. And then you realize, oh, it's all self-programming. I'll just write my own program to experience a different life and then run that system to better effect. Like that's 
that's pretty cool. And your books definitely do a good breakdown of that. I'm tempted to ask you to explain it, but everyone really should check out his books because they really do a very good in-depth job. Well, thank you. This has been fantastic. I, I really appreciate the the direction that we got to go in. I don't normally get to talk about all this metaphysics stuff when I'm on business podcasts talking about ROI and marketing and the psychology of sales. It's like I don't I don't get to talk about the radio broadcast and and meet radios. <laughs> oh well, these are my favorite topics. I definitely have to step away and do the ROI and all that for the business part of this, but and. Can we end on a just another fun topic or fun moment is you on your website showed a really fun magic trick, the key card, or if there's another uh-huh. magic trick you want to explain, obviously don't want to explain too many tricks because then no one will go see magic. But to me, what stood out, I was like, oh, that's it's just so obvious and simple and kind of what I was saying, why after a show, I don't want to know because it takes away the beauty. But I just thought that was such a fun example. Yeah. The, the basic idea is that from the method standpoint of how this works, it is so simple, so easy, you'll remember it for the rest of your life. But the presentation that you can use it with, you can say, I'm reading your mind or I'm reading your micromuscular uh, movements and reactions to your finger getting close to the card. So the method is this one small thing that can be clothed in any kind of presentational angle of, oh, I'm really good at reading you, or I predict that you're going to do this, or it's just so simple. And most people think you have to know the answer to something if you want to be an expert that people appreciate. But... Knowing where to find the answer is just as valuable if other people don't know where to find the answer. So that's why being a broker of being a connector of people, of knowing, oh, my friend Eric does this and Stacy does that and you've got this problem. So let me connect you to Stacy. You become a very important, valuable person because you're the facilitator of people solving their problems. So if you become the person that they go to to find out where to solve their problems, all that money that flows through there can flow through you, right? So that's part of the business psychology thing, which is get connected with as many people as possible be as proactive as you can about helping people solve their issues and letting them know where they can go. So you don't have to know a thing besides knowing people if you want to be successful. So I think a lot of people hold themselves back because they've got this core belief that I have to be the world's best at whatever it is that I'm doing before I can start helping people. But you can start helping people the minute you know something interesting, share it with the world because not everybody watched the same YouTube videos you did. Not everybody read the same books. Not everybody had the same mentors. So whatever your weird experience is, start a podcast, start a website, start writing, get your mind out into the world as much as possible 
And that's how you're going to help the most people now and after you're dead. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. Lena asks, if you hadn't had a loss, do you think you would have started researching psychic mediums and afterlife evidence? Absolutely not. I thought this was all complete nonsense. I mean, I didn't even, I don't know, I didn't even know about it. I just had heard a little bit about mediums and psychic mediums. I hadn't even heard anything about evidence or Dr. Julie Beischel or University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies. The only thing I'd heard about afterlife was religion and God and then psychic mediums, which I pictured as either incredibly woo and just completely out of touch with any form of reality or complete con artists. But I probably would have ended up researching this at some point, no matter what, because unless we ourselves die fairly young, all of us end up encountering a significant loss. So if my dad hadn't died that year, he would have eventually died and I most likely still would have been living. So I most likely would have ended up going down this path at some point. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciencey Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance. But that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me. And some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. 
I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. Approximately 185,000 murder cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. On average, 66% of homicides are solved each year. So what about the other 34%? Alarmingly, the number of murder cases that went unsolved by police hit a new high in 2020, resulting in only 50% of cases being solved, leaving far too many families with no answers, no resolution, no closure. That's why we investigate and report on unsolved cases, to spread the word in hopes of helping families who are searching for answers. We don't sleep, we're just actively looking for her. These girls were alive. They were living, breathing people. They weren't a picture in the media. There was a, a body found in a truck recently. None of us know anything about that body. Who, who was it? What happened? What could have happened? Who could have been involved? There's no answer. And, and it's just horrible. A true crime series investigating mysterious unsolved cases. Real people, real stories, real crimes. Tune into Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are at Speaking of Crime on Instagram and Facebook, and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. find you and also just you work with both businesses and individuals and you do fun performing correct i do i have yeah i don't just have irons in the fire i have irons in a bonfire that fire is so big it can fit a whole lot of irons so if if you want to get connected the easiest place to go is i can read from there, you can sign up for my email list where I share insights on business, on relationships, life, the fundamental motivational psychology, helping you understand human programming so you can program yourself to do whatever you need doing. That's what the email list is for. But yeah, I help companies and corporations uh, doing sales trainings, and I help individual clients on mindset stuff. So yeah, if if you have half an inkling of, oh, I'd like to talk to this guy, please, I, I want to hear from you. Sign up to the email list, reply to any of those emails, and it comes straight to me. And I'll have all of that in the show notes. And definitely check out the magic trick, dig through his site, because all very interesting and fun. So thank you so much. My pleasure. It, it has been a real delight getting to chat with you. So thank you very much for having me on. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to WTFJustHappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. 
can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTFjustHappened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened.